Uh, I'm really excited about this series that we're starting with you today called Shine. We're going to be talking about finding joy in the midst of all of the uncertainty. Is that even possible to find joy in the middle of uncertainty? We're going to be we're going to be spending some time through the rest of this year going through a book that God has used really just to to impact my life whenever there were uncertain times and difficulty and trials. And in fact, whenever I maybe will go through some times like that again in my life, this is a book that I go to uh, just to really begin to challenge me about my joy and my peace in Jesus Christ. And uh, so we're going to be looking in the book of Philippians. Today, I'm going to be giving you a little bit of an introduction and just kind of sharing a, a, a theology of joy with you today, as well as as really how this church was founded, which was so powerful. It was birthed out of joy. And we're going to be looking at this in the coming weeks. I'm, I'm really excited. And and uh, and I really felt led just just to take you into this book just uh, several weeks ago, especially as just all kinds of you know, just there's a lot of fear in our society today. There's a lot of uncertainty. A lot of people are anxious about things that are happening all around us. And, you know, if you were to look for a word, I think, to describe our culture today, it would be uncertain. People are not certain what's going to happen tomorrow. People are scared about things that are going on around them, whether it's health issues or economy issues or financial things. I mean, it's just it just feels like a very unstable time in our country. And people recognize that. And this mentality is everywhere you, you know, you turn, whether you're listening to it on the news, you know, you hear about it or, or whether like I was at my, my daughter's volleyball game a, a few weeks ago. And, and, you know, and that was the, the, the week that really kind of the Ebola thing really started taking off here in the DFW area and just talking to other parents and people were really just, just uncertain. People were scared. You know, and just listening to that, or I was at the football game on Friday night and I was talking to somebody and they had a lot of uncertainty in their tone and in their voice or talking to one of my neighbors, you know, just everywhere you turn, people are just, I think that you find that with all that's going on, people are anxious, people are, are concerned, people are overwhelmed, people fear, fear what's happening. They're worried about their own lives. And, you know, there are all kinds of things. And I mentioned this word, but, you know, people kind of feel like it's spinning out of control, like things are spinning out of control. That's that's the feeling that that I get whenever I talk to folks. And I mentioned this word again, you remember several weeks ago, maybe it's not quite as much on the forefront here in the in the DFW area as it was with this word Ebola, right? When that when that kind of came across the Atlantic and next thing you know it's breached our borders and now it's here in Texas. Wait a minute, what? It's in DFW? Are you kidding me? And uh, you know, this person was on this plane with this person and you know and you start hearing all of that and again you know, uh, people just really are fearful because of things like this. Whether it's Ebola, you could uh, hear this word a lot, ISIS, you know, uh, whether you hear Ebola or you hear ISIS and, and, you know, the aggression that you see happening there in the Middle East and the turmoil that always seems to be happening there. You hear about Christians being persecuted and you you see on the news innocent people being beheaded. And I mean, it's just and I was reading an article about this and the article said this. It said that uh, concerning this radical Islamic terroristic group, it said that 84 percent of Americans are. And this is the word they used in their article concerned about ISIS. Eighty four percent. Another way of saying it is we're worried about it. Worried about what's going to happen. Are they going to be able to infiltrate our borders? And, you know, you hear about things that are going on. 
And that same article used this terminology. It said that the world is, is, it just seems like our world is spinning out of control is what people were feeling. In the same article, it said that right under 70% of Americans, and this was a bipartisan kind of thing that they, that they took this poll, right under 70% of Americans feel like um, our country is headed down the wrong track. And that, that's Republican, Democrat. They, were, they, they had quotes from both people and both parties that kind of felt that way. And when I saw and I read spinning out of control, this imagery came to my mind. This is kind of what it feels like. It feels like this great storm that's just brewing and gaining more and more intensity and wreaking havoc, you know, as it goes forward. And, and it's just, you know, destroying. It's like this raging storm causing a lot of fear, causing a lot of panic. You know, and that's just our culture. That's what our culture is really like. And so whether it's whether it's things like Ebola or ISIS, this certainly for some, maybe more than others, is another cause of panic is when the economy feels so unstable. And people get nervous. And, you know, two weeks ago, the stock market was crashing and going down. And the next thing you know, it's back up and then it's back down. It takes one incident right in the news to cause a panic that causes the stock market to crash, that causes other people to panic. Right. It's like a storm that's gaining intensity, is it not? I mean, that's really what it feels like. And whether it's these buzzwords of the month, you know, whether it's 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 Ebola or ISIS or the economy. I mean, if it's not that it's it's West Nile virus. Right. Or or it's uh, the swine flu or or Sharknado or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, combining a couple of things for you. I mean, it just kind of feels like that. And so, again, I mean, you just you talk to people and people just are very anxious about what's happening in our culture today. And let me just say this, okay? speaking eschatologically and what that means is just speaking about end times and speaking about, you know, what Scripture says regarding last days is what that means. Church, you need to understand something that Scripture teaches this, that these kinds of things are going to continue to perpetuate. Jesus talks about things like this gaining intensity and there being great birth pains before the coming of the Lord. You need to know something, church. It's going to get worse in our culture. It's going to get worse in our world with all kinds of things. Jesus talks about natural disasters and he talks about these kinds of things. And I'm not saying that to you to to cause more fear maybe in your own life, but I really feel like we need to address that. So there's uncertainty and people around us are all all just all around us are afraid started thinking about it this way this week. You know, when I was a kid, I used to go to haunted houses. I don't really do that much now because I'm afraid I would have a heart attack in there. And uh, so I don't go, I don't even go into the box maze that our students do. You know, I don't, I don't do that uh, because I don't like feeling closed in. And, uh, and so I, I would start to panic in that kind of situation. But, but I was, I was thinking about it, that this kind of uncertainty, what scared me the most when I would go through these haunted houses, it was not the goofy masks. It was not the scenes, you know, all that stuff is just, you know, they're just goofing around and stuff like that. You know, where I started feeling that fear and panic as a kid, and probably I would even now as an adult, is whenever it's just pitch black and it's so dark, you can't see your hand out in front of your face. And with darkness comes uncertainty. And with uncertainty comes what's next? Fear, right? I mean, the world feels pretty dark. It feels very uncertain. It feels very uh, fearful. 
And, and when I would be in that haunted house, I was almost relieved when I would go to a scene or whatever in that haunted house where lights would come on, even though you'd see some scary stuff maybe, but the lights would come on. At least I, I had a sense of direction now because in the darkness, there's, you don't, you're lost. There's no direction. You don't know what to do and you're running into things and, you know, and so the, when just a little bit of light, that's why people like, uh, you know, children I hear like nightlights. I don't know about adults, but children do. And, uh, but, but nightlights, just a little bit of light because light gives a little direction. Light gives a little confidence where there's uncertainty. And, you know, I was just thinking about this and thinking about our culture and, 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 and really just the way that our culture is so many people who feel that uncertainty and that darkness that's causing the uncertainty and the uncertainty that's causing the fear Do you know what they really need? And you know what we really need? We need a little bit of light, don't we? We need something just to shine brightly. We need something to provide some sense of hope, some sense of direction. And, and, you know, and, and as a Christ follower, what I've been really sensing God speaking to me about in my own personal life, as I watch our culture and I sense the uncertainty and I hear it and I hear it in Christians voices, I hear it all around in our own church and out in our community. I really feel like God's saying we as the church right now, we're the ones to be shining in the midst of the chaos and in the darkness. This is really, in fact, I would say this to you, church, whenever it is darkest and whenever people are most fearful and there is the most amount of chaos in our society, I'm going to say it to you this way. I believe scripture teaches that is when we as Christ followers and as the church should be shining the very brightest. Amen. That is when we should be providing that sense of direction because of what Christ has done in our own lives. So again, I was reading this book of Philippians a a few weeks ago, and this particular verse stood out to me. And I know I've taken some of you through Philippians before. This is the second time I've preached through this book in the 15 years I've been here. Actually, this is the third time. But I really felt God was giving me kind of a new approach and a new angle that I want to take you into through the rest of this year. And uh, this was the verse that really stood out to me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Um, this is what the way it reads in the message. Okay, uh, you, I like this. It says, "Do everything readily." Everything is a key word. Do everything readily and cheerfully. Okay, that would also be joyfully. There, no bickering, no second guessing allowed. Now look at this. Okay, and this is what God really started impressing upon my heart to communicate not only in my own life but to you. Go out into the world. It doesn't say stay in your holy huddles whenever things get difficult, right? It says, get out there, go out into the world. How though? Uncorrupted. Now look at this, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Now look at this. This is what he's given us this charge. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. That's good right there, isn't it? I love that. Now look at what it says. Remember, the title of our series is what? It's shine. It's to shine. Carry the light-giving message. That's the message of Jesus Christ. Carry that light-giving message into the, say it with me, church, into the what? The night or darkness. 
In the midst of the darkness, where there is the uncertainty, where there is the fear. In other words, Paul is saying, when the world is at its darkest, we are called by God as Christ followers to do what? To shine. We're called to shine. The world needs you and it needs me to shine brightly in these certain times. So I got to really thinking about this. If we were to be shining brightly in these terrible, uncertain dark times, first we have to determine what is it about us in a relationship with God? What are these characteristics that cause us to shine in the midst of uncertainty? And I really believe that when we as Christ followers have these characteristics that are on display in our life, uh, no matter what the circumstances are, these certain things are, are what are attractive to a world that is desperately seeking some sense of direction and some sense of peace. And what are those characteristics? I really feel like this. I feel like peace is something that, that people are looking for and they see it in, in Christians' lives and they, they hunger for that. And here's another one. Joy. Joy. We're going to talk about what that means. We're going to talk about it, okay? And so when things are spinning out of control like this hurricane, all right, when things are spinning like that image that we have, I think we have that Aspen, we, where we've got this, this hurricane that's the storm that's gaining intensity in the middle, in the middle of that great storm where everything is just getting destroyed, there is, there is a place of calm and peace in the eye of the storm, Right? And as a Christian, that's where we are to reside while our world might even be falling apart. Um, is it even possible this for us to, while everything's spinning out of control, to, to actually have calm and peace? And, and, you know, this is something that I believe it's attractive to our world because it's so elusive in our society. And people are trying all kinds of ways to find this. They are looking, they will look through material possessions to find happiness or joy or whatever we're going to, we'll define it clearly in a minute, but let's just say they're looking and they're pursuing desperately happiness in their life. What did Jesus say about material possessions? He says they fall apart, they rust, they rot, they destroy, they get stolen. You cannot count on that to be what's going to bring you that sense of peace and joy. And if it's not material possessions or financial things, what about our jobs? Sometimes we try to find, you know, maybe our our peace in that, or we try to find our peace in our success or how we can climb the ladder there. But jobs get lost, right? Circumstances change in jobs. Maybe people that you work with, they change. And so circumstances become difficult in jobs. And maybe we even get to the place where we hate what we do or we hate our job. And so it can't be in material things. It can't be in, in maybe success or what we would, the world would define as success through our jobs. So maybe, maybe we find it in other people. But you know what I've learned is that other people, they disappoint us, right? Even our family will disappoint us from time to time. Even people that are spiritual people will disappoint us because people are not perfect. People will fail to live up to expectations. So people are trying all kinds of ways to find happiness. And we are on the hunt for it. We are trying to find this. So I got to thinking even more, you know, again, in all the uncertainty and all of the darkness, I got to thinking if if this is what 
is attractive to those that don't know Christ and they're hungering for some sense of peace. They're hungering for some sense of happiness, some sense of joy. I got to thinking deeper about this. Wouldn't it make uh, just perfect sense for our spiritual enemy, Satan, to do everything that he can if this is what is attractive to a world around us? Wouldn't it make perfect sense for our enemy to do everything possible to snuff out our light to snuff out our joy our peace to come against us in such a way with circumstantial kinds of things to rob us of our joy to steal and destroy our peace that's what he's called right the destroyer he's a thief he he seeks to to kill and destroy and so and so i just think wouldn't it wouldn't it make perfect sense that our enemy is going to do everything he can to snuff out the light He wants your light to be covered up. He wants your light not to be there. He wants you to be just like the rest of the world is what our enemy desires for us to be just like the rest of the world and no different what no difference in any kind of way in how we handle challenges and how we handle all of the uncertainty and all the chaos in our lives to be no different in our response. And when we are no different, then there is no light. And so the enemy works hard at at, at robbing people of joy. He works hard at stealing your peace and stealing my peace. He wants me to be anxious. He wants me to to be, you know, feeling like everyone else or, or, or acting the way that the rest of the world acts whenever things are uncertain because because he doesn't want us to shine for Christ. He doesn't want people asking questions about why are you so different in times like these? Makes sense to me. So not only did all the general uncertainty in our culture lead me to lead you to this book of Philippians, but just the personal battles that I feel like in my own life that I kind of struggle with. I've been very transparent with our church before that, that I think some of it is my personality. Um, I, I think that sometimes I, I can have a, a tendency in my natural man and in my flesh to lean towards the negative side of things. Um, some of you are more positive uh, and you don't struggle with that as much. Sometimes I feel like there can be kind of a cloud of, of uh, depression and discouragement that's kind of chasing me. Some of you don't relate to that. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Where I feel like it's kind of on my tail all the time and I have to really be intentional to battle against that. That's just me. okay? and so I I, I would tell you that that things like Ebola. Sure, there was maybe whenever all that was kind of kicking up, I was a little bit concerned about that. okay? Um, not the way that the media would portray the panic. Right. Um, uh, When you hear things about ISIS, yeah, you might get a little bit concerned. But I started thinking about that even when it was happening. If I get Ebola, I die, I go to heaven. Game over, right? Not game over, I'm going to heaven. It only gets better, right? If ISIS beheads me, I go to heaven. It only gets better for me as a believer, right? That's how I start thinking, okay? So that kind of stuff doesn't rock my world as much. Do you know what I've found for me that really messes me up? It's the day-to-day stuff that just starts adding up. It starts just kind of building up and then, you know, and you're battling with the day-to-day personal difficulties, the challenges. Maybe you deal with a criticism, you deal with a critical person, you deal with a, a struggle here, maybe some relationship issue. I found for me, those are the joy robbers in my life more than anything else. It's not the big stuff in our culture. 
it's, it's these other things, you know, that produce uncertainty. What's going to be next? You know, um, maybe it's challenges that my family's struggling with. Maybe it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm watching someone in my family go through and I feel uncertainty for them and I struggle with that. And that, you know, and so uh, that's another motivating factor in me leading you into this because I know that it's something I struggle with. And I would dare say many of you are probably more in that boat than the big stuff. Or maybe it's a combination of everything that has you feeling kind of anxious about things. But, but I know that everyone goes through trials. I know that everyone here is going through something right now, or you just came out of something, you're in the middle of it, or maybe you're heading into it and it's on the horizon and you can see that it's coming. All right. I just, I just have detected that my life needs work in this area and it needs the Holy Spirit to come and to flood in to bring some teaching in my life. Are you guys with me on that for yourself as well? I mean, I need that. I'm hoping that you're with me in that. I know many of you are going through considerable daily challenges right now. There are some of you that are going through health challenges that I could never even pretend to understand. You're going through some of the uncertainties that come with that. Some of you have job issues, maybe not having one. Maybe you lost your job and there's uncertainty and there's fear that comes with that. What's next? How are we going to pay this bill? Or, or, you know, or maybe it's your job issues that you hate the one that you have. And it's just everything within you just beating you down to get up out of bed and to go to work every day. Those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. Or maybe it's family issues for you. And, you know, the holidays are upon us, so get ready, right? And that seems to intensify for people during the holidays. And, 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 you know, or maybe it's not that maybe it's maybe it's a marriage issue for you that or a, a problem with your kids or or it could be financial issues. There would some of you that would say, is there a box for all of the above? Because that's what I'm feeling. Right. And you would check that box. To me, that's the stuff really that eats our lunch more than the big stuff I mentioned generally in our culture. I think that's the stuff that eats our lunch as believers more than anything. You look at all the uncertainty of society. Yes, that's there. But but, you know, where the enemy works mostly in my life is with those kinds of things to seek to snuff out my light to where I'm not shining. To where there's no brightness in my life whatsoever. And then this leads to even the next question. OK, and this is a big one right here. I really want you to contemplate it. Is it even possible then? Is it even um, is it even a possibility in the midst of all of the uncertainty and when your world is feels like it's spinning out of control? Here's the question. Is it even possible to shine? Thank you, Elaine. (laughs) Amen. Is it even possible? What do you think, church? Is it possible to have any level of peace and joy When the world feels like what you're seeing on that screen. To have joy and peace in the middle of all the trouble. And if we believe it is possible. And we believe that about our faith in Jesus Christ. Then here's another question. And again, these are questions I was asking myself here. And I just wanted to ask. And why are we so often prone to becoming overcome by our circumstances in our lives? Why do we. So many of us, and I won't characterize everybody this way, but why do so many of us constantly seem to live discouraged, joyless, peaceless, anxious lives? It's not because we're bad or anything like that. I think it's that we've not actualized some truths that need to be actualized in our lives. Okay? 
Listen, I'm on the journey with you for this. This message series is one that I'm preaching for myself. I was sharing with somebody right after the first service. They were saying they were so excited about the series. I said, God's really doing a work in my life in this area right now. Is it even possible to shine when our world seems to spin out of control and our world is personal world is filled with so much difficulty? And I don't want to give you just a pat little answer and say, just just put a fake smile on. Everything's going to be OK. You know, I don't want to just kind of tell you to go off and sing that song from the 80s, you know, don't worry, be happy. That's not what I want to do in this series. I really feel like we've heard a lot of that. There's got to be a little bit more to this that has to happen in our life because we've heard all of this, you know, when your world's all falling apart and and I'm not going to just be telling you just to kind of put on that fake pretend smile and just say, well, praise Jesus, you know, and, uh, Not that there's anything wrong with praising Jesus, but let me tell you something that there's something wrong with, and that is being a fake. Because sometimes it's not good. Right? Sometimes it's just not good. I mean, that's not shining. That's just being weird. Okay? And uh, because sometimes life just stinks. Sometimes life just stinks. Amen? In this messed up, broken world, it's a rough, rough world sometimes. But I want to tell you this, that the people who have impacted my life, and I will tell you this, the most for Jesus Christ, who have challenged me, who have inspired me the most, were not the ones who's, who had it, quote unquote, all together, and their life was all in perfect little order Those are not the ones that impacted me the the most. It was the ones who were going through what you see like up on that screen. And they were in the middle of that storm and there was something different about them. Amen. And I saw that and I see that and I desire that and they were shining. And, and you know, I, I, I just want us to explore this in the coming weeks. How do we shine in the midst of uncertainty? And does that mean that we have to be fake? No, that's not what we're going to be talking about. You know, those people who are in the midst of that eye of that storm, uh, what I've found is that they're very real and they don't have a fake smile on. They may smile some, but they don't have a fake smile. And this, they may say things like, you know, this situation absolutely stinks. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing good. And I'm not understanding everything right now, but, but the, they, will, they will always go to something like this. But my anchor is this. I know that God is still good. I can't see it right now. But I know that he's still good. The stuff around me is not good. And I'm struggling with all of it. But God is still good. There's a supernatural peace and joy that is born out of a close and trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to just tell you just, okay, we'll just go home and just do this little. There's going to have to be a supernatural work that happens in our lives together. I hope that you're ready for it. I I welcome it. Amen. I want it. I want that so much. And there are days that I have that. I want it to be more consistent is what I want you to understand in my life. I want consistency there more. That doesn't ebb and flow with the circumstances. And I believe that this is what the Apostle Paul had in his life when his life was like this storm and it was completely spinning out of control. His circumstances, personal, were not favorable. They were not good. And that's what's so striking to me. They were dismal. They were discouraging. They, they were what would cause many of us to go into a terrible depression or whatever. 
but there was something so different about Paul that we will see in the coming weeks. And Paul was challenging this church at Philippi with this thought. The point of this series, and most importantly, the point of the book of Philippians, is to show us that there is a joy and peace that is offered to those of us who are in Jesus Christ, that there's joy and peace offered even when logically and humanly speaking, it doesn't make sense. That's what the point of this book is, is that you will see that that is the case. And so this book of Philippians is one that God has used, as I said, to inspire me. I'm praying that God will use it to inspire you, to teach us, to challenge us. And yes, even convict us, because sometimes we just, we just need to repent. And some of our lack of faithfulness and some of our struggle, we just sometimes a good old repentance is what we need, you know. And so I'm really praying that the Lord uses this. So I want to just spend the remaining moments I have with you in telling you a little bit about how this church got started and how it was birthed out of joy. Okay. And then we're going to get next week more into the actual text of Philippians. But I also, I want to give you a theology of joy just very quickly. Okay. So Philippians chapter one, starting in verse one says this, this letter is from Paul and Timothy. Slaves of Christ Jesus. Now you need to know that Paul was in prison whenever he was writing this for preaching the gospel. He was imprisoned. So think of that. I am writing to all of God's holy people, okay, in Philippi, who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. And may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's read the last part out loud together. May he do what? May he give you what? Grace and peace. May he give you grace and peace. So as we approach this epistle, okay, uh, the word epistle simply means letter. We have newer believers in our church. I want them to understand that word epistle. It is a, an epistle is not a wife of an apostle. Okay, it is a letter. That's what that means. Okay, and so what this is, is it is called now the circumstances are that it is being written. It's being written in prison. He's he, this is not a good time in Paul's life. Do you know what this epistle is called? It's called the epistle of joy. Isn't that ironic? The epistle of joy is what it's called. The letter of joy. The primary purpose, that is its theme, is to promote and to teach about joy in the believer's life. Paul mentions joy 16 times in this tiny little letter. Joy, rejoicing. It's mentioned 16 times. Jesus Christ is mentioned 50 times in this short little book, and that's not by accident. There's a reason for those two things being prevalently put together is because that true and lasting joy is found in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul keeps alluding to over and over. So notice he's not going to say happiness in this, which is what a lot of people are pursuing. It's even in our Declaration of Independence, right? We are pursuing life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of what? Happiness, okay? We're going after it. We're chasing it. That's what people want. And we're trying to find it in all those ways I mentioned. But here is happiness. Here's a great definition for you. Here's something good to write down. Happiness is an attitude of satisfaction or delight based upon some present circumstance. 
Happiness is an, is an attitude of satisfaction or delight based upon some present circumstance. It, happiness is related to happenings around you. Happiness is related to what's called happenstance. It's related to the word hap, which is a word that basically uh, conveys the idea of chance. It might happen for you, and it might not. It's contingent upon on circumstances. It's contingent upon what's actually happening around you. It's, it's related to the delight or satisfaction um, of the occasional happening or the chance circumstance. We all want it, but here is the thing that's just, we got to own this. It's unfortunately, we all want that, but it is so elusive to find. It's so difficult. And, and in fact, happiness is the very best that we as men can produce. We as people can produce. That's all we have. It, it can't transcend the circumstance. But, but here's the question. What if the circumstances, and this is, this is going to be a hard one for some of you to, to, to tackle with, you know, and grapple with this. What if the circumstances in your life, and they're bad, okay? What if they never, on this side of heaven, got better? Do you check out a life? You know? Do you think that's what we're called to do? I just check out. I don't think so. Or you wouldn't still be here, right? God has you here. On the other hand, when we talk about joy, we're not talking about something related to chance. We're not talking about something related to circumstances around us. Joy is something that transcends the external things happening all around us. It transcends that. We're talking about a deep down confidence that all is well no matter what the circumstance. It doesn't mean you have a fake smile. It just means that there's a confidence that's inside that you know that you're going to be okay. Even whenever it's fallen apart, you're able to be in the eye of the storm. Biblical joy that Paul speaks of in Philippians is very different from happiness as it is defined. We'll be looking at it in the coming weeks with with just this this perspective of why does God desire for us to have this kind of joy is he wants us to be different in our world. That's why we have been left here. That's why when you get saved, he doesn't take you and I immediately to heaven. The world needs Christians. Amen. The world needs the church. It needs us. It may not want us. But it needs us, especially in the darkness. I heard another pastor give a definition of joy that I love. Here's what it is. Joy is this. Joy is the flag that flies on the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. That'll preach right there. Just by the way, that's some good stuff. And I believe that only Christians can know a, a true and lasting joy. I'm not saying happiness because there are a lot of people that aren't Christians that are happy. Okay? But I'm talking about a true and lasting joy, an eternal kind of joy. The, the verb to rejoice appears 74 times in the New Testament. The noun for joy appears 59 times in the New Testament. Do you think it's something that God wants us to understand and have in our lives? Yeah. 
or it wouldn't be so prevalent in the scripture. What's interesting to me is that so much of the New Testament, if you know your Bible, you know that much of the New Testament is written to Christians who were suffering and who were going through some of the most difficult circumstances that could even be imagined. They were under threat for their lives for even being a Christ follower. And yet so much of it is about joy and peace. What does that say to us? For me, it brings conviction for me. It also just, you know, again, I just really felt a few weeks ago when when things were really kicking up with Ebola and the economy was crazy and things were happening. I just felt this strong and listening to people being in the in the community, living in the community. I felt a strong sense of responsibility as a pastor to be sure that we as your as your church leaders are doing everything that we can to equip you who are out in the community every single day you're at your places of employment you are in your schools you are in the community and in the neighborhood where darkness is all around we should be doing everything we can to equip you to understand joy in your life to shine in the darkness I feel this responsibility to be sure it's not only happening in my life, but I'm, I'm also talking about it with you. I'm on the journey with you. So let me very quickly give you just a little more of a theology of joy and understanding this as the foundation for the letter of Philippians. I want you to understand. I want to give you a sentence that I learned again from another pastor about biblical joy. Biblical joy, okay? Um, so if you're writing notes, just write this down. I want to break it down for you kind of phrase by phrase, okay? The first thing is this, is that true joy is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. Let me just very quickly share some scriptures. You, you might not have time to turn there. Just look on the screen and you can look them up on your own later. Psalms chapter 4 says, you have given me, you have given me, the psalmist writes, you have given me greater what, church? Joy. Than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In other words, you've given me a greater joy than just the financial harvest or the financial abundance. I have a greater joy than just that. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. And that what a lot of people want is to be able to sleep peacefully, right? For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. The psalmist is saying, God, you give me a greater joy than those whose circumstances are currently even better than mine. You give me something that's deeper than that. It's a greater joy. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1611. I want to invite you to read this one with me out loud. It's really short, okay? Say it with me out loud. In your presence, there is fullness of what? Joy. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Is there enough joy for you and for me? Yes. That's what the, there's enough. It's not like there's, there's this lacking supply for Christians. If there's enough. And we could just keep going with scripture after scripture that that connects God as our source of joy. So as we begin this theology of joy, uh, all right, joy is something that is a gift from God. It's something for you to receive, which leads us to the next part of the sentence. True joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel. Okay, what is the gospel? The gospel is the what? Good news. It's where we get, it's the word euangelion. It's where we get our word evangelism. That's what we are about is telling people the good news, shining for Christ. In the, as, as Christmas rapidly approaches, right? 
you'll be hearing the Christmas story. And I, and I thought about this part of the Christmas story uh, whenever it comes to the gospel. Think of this as we read this in Luke 2.10. Think of the shepherds as being like the rest of the world who are very fearful, right? And look at this, okay? Luke 2.10. They were, it says, they were what? Terrified. Our world's like that. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you what? Good news that will bring, what will it bring? Great joy to all people. We'll be singing in the coming weeks, joy to the what? World. Why is there joy to the world? It's because of the gospel. Yes, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. In other words, the angel is saying, you may be greatly terrified, but Jesus changes everything. That's what he's saying. And that's the announcement of the gospel. True and lasting joy. Next part of the sentence. True joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, this is what he said to them and this is what he says to us. I have told you these things, this is the word of Jesus, so that you will be filled with my, what does he say? Joy. Yes, your joy will even what? Overflow. It's spilling over. Now, let me ask, is it contingent upon circumstances? What was Jesus about to go through? The crucifixion, if you know your scripture, you know that was on the horizon next. What were his disciples? What was he preparing them for? Were they going to be persecuted? Yes. And he's trying to teach them about joy before they get into difficult circumstances. Your joy, he said, it will overflow. Will overflow. You will shine. You will be different. Let's go on in the sentence. True joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel. Now, this is very key for you as a believer that is being produced in the Christian by the Holy Spirit. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's a supernatural production in your life as a Christ follower. Galatians chapter five says this, but the Holy Spirit, what's the word produces, he produces this kind of fruit in your life. And in my life as a Christ follower, what does he produce love? And what's the next word? Joy, peace, you know, the rest of it. Okay. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the spirit. And, and it's, I just want you to know something because you may be thinking, I just got, I got to try harder. I got to do this. What you need to do is what we did in that in that song right before I got up to preach that says, I surrender what all because I'm going to tell you. You can't produce joy. That's the Holy Spirit's job in your life. Amen. We can't do it. We can produce some happiness because we can make some circumstances occur. But they're not lasting. Let's add further to it. It's a gift to those who believe. It's offered to you is another way of thinking. It's offered to you. So the joy is a gift from God that comes to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit as the believer receives and obeys the word. Now, here's your part in it. It's offered to you. But here is your part is you must do what? Receive the gift, just like in your salvation. You receive it in faith. 
Jeremiah 15 would say this, your words, and it's found in the word of God, your words were found and I ate them, he says, and your words became to me, what does it say? Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. First John for New Testament in this, these things I write unto you that your, say it with me church, that your joy may be full. Do you think we're supposed to get this? I think so. I think it's so prevalent in this. God's trying to drive a point home for us. That we are to be different. That that it's it's an opportunity for us to be different. True joy. Here's the next part of the sentence. All right. And this may be the most challenging part of it. uh, Is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel. Being produced in them by the Holy Spirit. As they believe and receive the word. All right. By the way. The believe and receive the word also means you must apply the word. Not just hearing it. But doing it. Now, here's the tough part mixed with trials. You're like, I knew that was coming. But this is the incredibly important element of this truth that we will never experience the reality of true joy unless it is made very clear to us by its contrast to trials and difficulties. We'll never really know what that looks like. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. But he also said you can have overflowing trouble joy. James speaks about it. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, what does that cover? Sounds like any kind, right? Come your way. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. And bringing a culmination to this thought and the foundational understanding of what biblical joy is and how it's defined. True joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel being produced in them by the Holy Spirit as the believer receives and obeys the word mixed with trials. And here's what this Christian also does. And they set their hope on future glory. They recognize that this just isn't all that there is. There's something more. There's something more that that we have to look forward to. There's even something more that God is doing now that maybe we just can't even see. And that's where our faith in God comes in. And and Peter would write to a group of persecuted Christians who were who were suffering greatly. And he wrote in first Peter, you love him. Speaking of Jesus, even though you have never seen him and that could apply to us. Okay, you love him, even though you've never seen him, you have a future hope, though you do not see him now. What do you do? You trust him and you do what? And when you trust him, you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible. What joy we can't get away from it. At EVC, this is the theme of this incredible uh, EVC. This is the, the theme of this incredible power packed little book. This is what it's all about is the believer's joy in the midst of the storm that it's possible for us. What Paul is writing to this church at Philippi that he loves so much is that he wants them to know that they can be joyful in their trials. Paul was going through it. He was going through it. I want to conclude just by telling you how this church was birthed, okay? I want to tell you how it came about. He was imprisoned for the gospel and, uh, and, and, and just some final thoughts. I want, I want you to see that this church was birthed because of Paul shining for Christ, all right? 
So he shined in the midst of his uncertainty as his life was like that storm. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was on a missionary journey that he was taking with Timothy. And he was on a mission trip to spread the gospel to people who didn't know Christ. And they finally came to a region called Troas, which was the last point of land there in Asia before they would cross into Europe. And they stood there facing the Aegean Sea, looking across, wondering this. Where do we go next? What do we do? That's where they were at. God, what do you want? And then came a vision from the Lord to them from a man in Macedonia. This is called the Macedonian call. Now, as I read this to you, I want you to think about the people around you that do not know Christ. Because these are people that did not know Christ. And that night, it says in Acts 16, 9, that night, Paul had a vision A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and do what? And help us. In other words, we need to know this. And God was leading Paul to this. So this is what Paul did. He decided to be obedient. We decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. It's kind of like, so this is what Paul did. They went across, they went into Greece, they went into the Macedonian area, they came to a a city called Philippi, and and if you'll read in Acts 16, you'll find that Paul did what he would do uh, when he would go into a new town, he would first look for the Jewish temple, there was no Jewish temple there. What a Jew would do when there was no Jewish temple, they would go down to the river for a certain reason, okay, that we won't get into today. They would go there to, to congregate with other Jews on the Sabbath, and uh, and there were no there were no men there to make a synagogue. So there were some Christian, there not Christian, there were some Jewish women who were God fearing women. There was one there named Lydia, and Paul starts dialoguing with these women about uh, what it means to to find the Messiah. And uh, it says in verse fourteen, it says. As Lydia, as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked us to be her guests. So it gets started here with Lydia. Isn't that interesting that the that the church in Europe started with a woman here? Okay, it starts with this woman, Lydia. And, and it began, you know, here, it's interesting if you look at the scriptures, the Lord revealed his Messiahship first to a Samaritan woman. The Lord uh, reveals himself in Europe first to this woman. There's great value. These women have great value in, in the gospel here is what's being communicated. And if you keep reading in Acts 16, the Sabbath says this, that as Paul would keep going down to the riverside there to gather with other believers and to pray there, there was a demon-possessed girl that kept following him around. She kept following him around and she kept interrupting him and causing havoc for him and all this. And and she was making a lot of money for some greedy men in Philippi there who were using her as a fortune teller. Well, she keeps interrupting Paul and Paul finally has enough of it. And he says, you know, something to her and he cast the demon out of her. And these men get really upset because now uh, their ability to make money off of her is gone. In essence, they were kind of prostituting her spiritually. And so they get upset. They're spiritual pimps is what they are, okay? And they're upset. And so they get Paul, and they look at what, it, what happens in verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. And they were severely beaten, and they were thrown into where? Prison. 
The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. By the way, the jailer would pay with his life if Paul or others were to get out. So this was a very big task that he had. And so it says in verse 24, the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So they are beaten. And and this kind of beating was a flogging. Their backs were laid open. They were stripped down. They were cold and naked. And they were beaten nearly to death. They were put in stocks. And when we think of stocks, we think of the kind in England where maybe you're kind of like this. The stocks of the Romans were different. They would stretch people out kind of in a crucifix kind of situation to where they would cramp up. And it would just, I mean, they had it figured out on how to torture people. And this is what they were doing. And, and they, were, they were in the inner part of the dungeon there in all of the dark cell and all of the uncertainty and all of the filth and rats and excrement and all of this. And you'd think that there would be great depression and, and discouragement. But what is their attitude? Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So there's something definitely to finding joy in uncertainty through praying to God, right? Singing to God, praising God. They were doing this and the other prisoners were doing what? Let me ask you something. Is the world watching us in the way we respond? Absolutely. So they're going through it. Verse 26. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. What a man of integrity. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked, and I want you to read this with me out loud because this is the point of the whole series. Sir, say it with me. What must I do to be saved? Isn't it interesting that he went from that to asking this question, how do I have what you've got? It's because he was shining. In darkness. Our world is in uncertainty. In EVC, what God showed me was that this church in Philippi was born out of joy. They answer him. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. The church at Philippi was born out of a conversation with Lydia. And it was born out of Paul shining brightly in difficult circumstances. And a Philippian jailer saying, what must I do to have that? Because I want it. You're different. That's shine. Finding joy in uncertainty. I want to ask us to pray if we can. You see, that goes beyond a happiness, right? Because the circumstances were not favorable. It's something that's deeper still. Where you can rejoice even though things are falling apart. And it's not fake. It's not a fake smile. There's something that just steadies you. It gives you peace. Is it even possible? I think that it's very evident in the scriptures that it's made available. God offers it to every believer. 
Which means that if you are in Jesus Christ, I know that many of you are, He offers it to you right now. To every one of you. It's a gift of God. It's not man-made. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. You may even be a, a believer who's here and you're going through it right now. And I don't dispute that and I don't want to minimize that. It's tough. You're going through a tough time. But maybe in the midst of this, you recognize today that you're battling with this issue of joy. You've even lost your joy. And that's not to beat you up more. That's to say God has something for you that he wants you to experience is his peace and his joy. He wants us to have it. It brings glory to his name. Lives are changed when we have it. That's why he's left us here. Our focus has to turn from our temporary problems and our trials to the bigger picture and bigger perspective. Ultimately, that we trust that God is sovereign and that he is in control. If you're struggling with joy and lack of peace today, would you just be really honest today? And would you just, there's no condemnation, but would you just acknowledge it today? And I want to pray with you. Would you just lift your hand and just say, Bar, would you just pray? I'm struggling with this, man. This is, this is something that I'm struggling with. I, I struggle with a lack of joy. I struggle with being worried and a lack of peace. Just lift them up today. There were many in the first. I know there are people in here struggling with this. I'm struggling with it. Let's just take that to him right now. He loves you and so desires for you to have this kind of joy. Father, we just come to you and acknowledge that we struggle in this area. I thank you, Lord, for your peace. I thank you for your joy. I thank you that you've shown us that it's possible through men like Paul and others that it, we've seen in our lives to have a peace in the midst of a storm, to have your peace. And so, Father, I pray for these who are struggling with this today. May your peace and your joy just flood in right now into our lives, into our church. Our community needs us to shine. So, Father, we offer ourselves to you. We release our burdens. We come to you as you've called us, those who are weary and heavy laden and we find rest in you. I thank you. Some of you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is where joy is found. What must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus. Call upon him to be your Savior right there. Jesus Christ, I believe you are the Messiah. I invite you into my life. Tell him that. Lord, save me to have a different kind of life. I want you. Thank you, Father, for your truth. We look forward to the coming weeks of studying your word deeper. It's in your name that I pray. And all God's people said, amen.